All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 152 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. We are into September. Frank, uh, rookie camps and the tournaments get going next week. And then, of course, uh, basically uh, two weeks and uh, NHL players will report to camp for medicals on the 21st. And then they will be on the ice on the 22nd. Uh, since we spoke last, the, the biggest news, of course, the uh, the JT Miller contract. Man, this guy's name to be out there in, in trades and how he wasn't going to sign. And then he ended ends up signing. Uh, what do you make of the contract and the entire negotiation? And what do you think this means for Bo Horvat? This one really caught me off guard. I think it caught a lot of people off guard because I think when you look at where they were all summer, like they didn't appear to be in the same ballpark at all. And it's amazing sort of how it came together, especially for JT Miller. I think he, you know, he didn't want to have this hanging over his head heading into the season. And, you know, I don't know, maybe sometimes things change. I think it was announced either the day of or the day after his first kid was born. And so maybe this is one of those things like, Hey, I've got something like this. That's on the table for me. Something that sets me up for life. Uh, even though he's probably already pretty well arranged with career earnings approaching 30 million bucks to sign for 56 more. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And so 
for the Canucks fans, I thought the reaction, Jason, was interesting because they were sort of grumbling about seven years and how this is too long. And I think, to be fair, seven years probably made the Canucks and their front office a little bit uneasy. But at the same time, I think the cap hit is really manageable given his production level for these last number of years. I mean, you look at the time since he's been in Vancouver, he's well North of a point per game player. And there's only so many of those in the league. Like I know the Canucks are on this path to being competitive. They're probably knocking on the door of the playoffs this year. They, I have a hard time believing they can get to where they want to get to without JT Miller. And I think ultimately that's the calculus that they made at the end of the day. 100%, right? You you have to worry about the near future. And when you look at at his production just in Vancouver, he's been their most productive player by a significant margin, right? Like in the last two years, he has 145 points. Pedersen has 89. Now Pedersen has played about 28 fewer games uh, in that time. But, you know, even if he plays all those games, he's not on the same uh, point per game pace at all uh, to Miller. And, uh, you know, you, you look when JT Miller's contract kicks in next year, uh, the Holtby and Vertanen buyouts come off the books. And so his raise essentially go will come from that free money from those buyouts. Uh, so that there, there's really not a, a huge jump. Obviously, his contract goes up to me, though. You know, I look at a guy like Bo Horvat. And so, you know, if Miller's making what he's making and he's their, their highest paid guy. It's really hard to think, you know, unless Bo Horvat has like a massive season this year that he can command more and possibly even less. Yeah. I mean, I think he's probably slightly more like he's probably no. Do you mean more than Miller? Yeah. Like I don't oh, see no, how he's, he's less than Miller. He's yeah, way less exactly. than Miller. Yes. I think I, I thought you meant from his current AAV. I think he's slightly more. Yeah. I think oh, he's yeah. right in that six to six and a half million dollar range. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I meant I, sh- I could have worded that better. I meant he's, he can't command more than Miller. Right. So if Miller's eight, right. You, you look at Bo Horvat and you know, like you look at it, Miller scored what 54 more points in two years than Bo Horvat. Right. Like that's, that's what you get paid for. And I know Bo Horvat's, you know, totally different players, right. You know, got more goals in in that time. I think three more goals than, than JT Miller. Right. Um, But, you know, plays, maybe you'd say that Horvat, some would argue is a better defensive player. Sure. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking big money, you know, and Bo Horvat is, is the guy. And what the other thing I found interesting is the interview with Bruce Brujo. And he talked about how Miller's kind of the leader of that group. Yes. Right. And um, you can tell he's an emotional, just the way he plays and what he wears on his sleeve. Yeah. Like if I'm Vancouver, I want, I want both of them. Like to me, I, I saw some people say, well, this means they can't afford him. And I, I don't understand why people think that as I outlined the, the raise to, to Miller is basically going to be eaten up from the dead cap space they have in buyout. So that goes there. And if Bo Horvat's going to get a million dollar raise, maybe even you stretch it to a million and a half and he gets to seven mil. Well, you know what? So you, so you trade someone. Because the following year, that's when Tyler Myers comes off the books at $6 million, right? That's and the following year is also when big they jump. have, yeah, it's going to be the big jump. Yeah. So I, I I'm think thinking Vancouver- it's somewhere in the, uh, you know, and I, I, I'll have a story to come at some point on this, but the range that people are talking in terms of projections is, is likely somewhere between eight and $9 million in, in jump in the cap. Oh, it's huge. Huge. Or that would be for the 2024, 20, 25 season. 
Yeah. So, and like what, what the thing about Vancouver is I look at their team and I really think, you know, in the Western conference, I think the, the, the Canucks were the team based on their talent level that underachieved. And if there's a team that I think is capable of a bounce back, it's them. I, really I think do. that's fair. I mean, look, I mean, do you watch the way Thatcher Demko played, you know, all season long, the, that team's going to have a chance no matter what, if he plays even, you know, 70% of the level that he was at last year. Yeah. Like the, the one stat, a lot of times it shows successful teams, Frank is goals against five on five. The Canucks were the third best team in the NHL last year, five on five goals against like they should have been better. Like their penalty kill was atrocious and that, and that, and that hurt them for sure. And I, and I think that's something that, that's fixable, but when you're that good, like they only gave up 143 goals, five on five, the flames led the league at 139 and Carolina was 142. Like they were, they were quite good defensively. And I think that they're one of their biggest um, issues last year was, was offense. And, and I think that they had some of their best players, you know, early on who weren't their best players. And, and if I'm going to bet on a team and I, I'm going to bet on my best guys to get better, I think that's Vancouver. Like they got massive areas to grow five on five offensively. They were like 23rd. I think on paper, they're a much better team than that. And so I'm going to say it now in my early prediction, the Vancouver Canucks are having, I think they're going to have a big bounce back season. I think offensively they have way more talent than they showed on the score sheet last year. Are they as good as the team that they were over the last 60 games? Yeah, I think so. They went uh, 32, 15, and 10 to close out the year. So they had points in 42 of 57 games to close out the year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Vancouver, honestly, I think they're a playoff team. No question. It's a hundred. It's a, that's a hundred point pace yeah. during the season. Yeah, like there, you look at, at the slow start they had from their top guys. They still finished with 92, which is a kind of amazing given where they were at. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I, I've seen a lot of people in, in Vancouver that are hard on that team. And from an outside perspective, you know, I watch enough Canucks games because they're on late. And so I, I can watch them as a late game. They just when you look at that one stat historically every year, the goals against five on five, it's 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 a huge indicator of success. There's always the outliers every year, but they were so good defensively five on five and then so bad offensively. You look on paper, most people would say, hey, Vancouver, I like their three centers. I like their forward depth. Like they should score more goals than they scored last year. And I think they will. Hmm. We'll have to play a little over under game in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure Tyler will get it fired up, but the point projections are always interesting. You know, you look at the betting odds, they have the nice best odds in the Western conference. So according to the bookmakers, they have them outside of the playoffs. Yeah. Outside, but just barely. Right. So, yeah, but still it tells you something, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, uh, Kirby doc, a uh, new contract this morning, uh, four years at uh, 3.36, yep. three, six, uh, million bucks. Now he had nine goals last season. Um, they're obviously paying him for what the potential of what they think he's going to be. And, and, and if he, even if he comes just a 40 to 45 point player, then that's good value for them. Yeah. It's interesting. I was in a press box during the playoffs and Kirby doc's name came up and a well-known broadcaster said, I'll bet you right now, Kirby doc never breaks 50 points. And I was like, huh? 50 points. It's a pretty low bar. I think um, 
it's an interesting bet, not just that wager, but the bet that the Canadians have made now you're right. Cause he doesn't need to do a whole lot to exceed that type of value. Um, and clearly they believe he's got a lot to give. So they're thinking that he's going to be producing probably at a 50 to 60 point level, justifying giving out that type of contract now. Well, you look at how many forwards in the NHL last year scored 50 points. I think it was like 104, something like that. Maybe, maybe more 113. Uh, I just looked it up. So, you know, you, you take that over the 32, you know, that's about three and a half, three, just over three and a half players per team. Right. And if you look in Montreal right now at their lineup, who, who are their guys? If you think that's going to be the average that an opportunity, Frank is the key thing, right? Like in Montreal offensively, how many guys are going to get way more ice time than Kirby doc? Like, I, I don't think like Nick Suzuki and, and obviously, um, you know, they're young guys, Cole Caulfield, they're, they're going to be in their first unit power play. Right. Uh, and then you've got Anderson Dadna, but I don't know if the first unit power play in Montreal is going to be so dominant, that the second unit isn't split. And so Kirby doc at minimum will be on their second power play unit. And, you know, you pick up a few points there. I don't know if he get, you know, I'd be surprised if he got 50 this year, but I'll say this, I, I would take that bet that in the next four years, granted, if he stays healthy, one of the next four years, he'd score 50 points. I actually really like the Canadians forward group. I think they've got serious questions on their defense. Um, and I'm curious to see how the Matheson trade ends up working out, but then clearly replacing carry price is going to be incredibly difficult to do, but their forward group, I think is really well positioned and I'm fascinated to see what kind of year Slavkovsky has. Well, that's my question. You think Slavkovsky plays in the NHL as an 18 year old? Yes. I think he's the only one. So not Shane Wright. Okay. Well, I mean, Shane Wright might, but he'll get his 10 games. We'll see. He probably will. Shane Wright probably will. Like if I'm the Montreal Canadiens, having seen what happened with the uh, European players that, who are teenagers, Frank, the list is really short. Heck the list is short on, on North Americans who are teenagers who have any sort of tangible success at the national hockey league level. And like, you know, I, I don't know. Like Austin Matthews was 19. Right. Um, you know, you look at players like Leon Dreisaitl, who's won the heart and he's won our Rosses and everything. Ted Lindsay as a 19 year old teenager, he got sent back to junior and now mm-hmm. he's dominant. Like it is hard to be a teenager in the NHL, man. If I was the Montreal Canadians, I'd think long and hard. Uh, like I like Slavkowski. He's a big, strong guy. And Hey, maybe he bucks the trend, but history is not in his favor. Okay. So then the question is, where do you send him? Um, if you if you're not playing, putting, that's always the question, right? So if he's yeah. not there, where's he going to, well, see, I'd look at two things. The American league also is no joke of a league. You know, you look at how many young 20 year old guys come out of pro out of major junior go to the American league and get crushed their first year. Right. Like mm. I, I, I now I've, I've been steadfast in mind. I'm a big believer that, you know, Slavkowski could go play in major junior 
He's, I think his rights are held by the Erie Otters. Yes. There would still be lots of, when people say, oh, he's too good for that league. Give me a break. Like, um, has he killed penalties in North American ice? Like there's lots of ways to refine his game and more. So it's maintaining confidence as an offensive player. Like he only scored five goals last year in Finland. I know it's a defensive league, but if I, if I have the number one overall pick, I want that kid to go to the rink every night, just feeling like, man, I'm the rooster. I'm the cock of the walk out here and I can light it up offensively. I don't, you know, having him play in the NHL to score 20 points. How does he learn anything offensively? I wouldn't do it. I would send him to junior and let him dominate. I, yeah, I can't speak for the Canadians. I would say, I think they're thinking at least at the moment that he's probably going to be in the NHL. Yeah. But you know, and then how much ice time is like, if, if he's not on your first unit power play and he's like, he's not getting a lot of special teams time. How is he playing enough to really develop that? That would be my question. I would ask them flat out unless they're going to say, well, automatically he's getting guaranteed. That's what I was going to say. Maybe that's what they do is say, our team's not going to be very good this year. We're just giving him all the time that he needs to develop on the ice. Yeah. But it's, that can be really difficult though. It's a grind. Yeah. Hey, the NHL is not a developmental league. It's a production league. It's, it's, it's what it is. And so, you know, cause it's hard to tell Marty, you know, your head coach, Hey, you got to play this guy. And what if the guy's, you know, he's drowning in the NHL and well, we got to keep playing him. So I, I, if I'm the Canadians, man, all I would do is take a look at history and say, Hey, we want to give the kid nine games, but be realistic in those nine games. And there's nothing wrong. He's never played on North American ice, Frank. He's never played the North American style of game. You, you mentioned the Erie Otters pretty good organization. He's going to go there. He's going to get massive opportunities. And most importantly, his confidence remains high. That's, that's all your points do. are good. I, I, there's no arguing with any, I don't, you know, we'll see. I think, yeah. I think heading into camp, I, I believe that is the plan. So we'll what see. about, right. Do you think Seattle has the same viewpoint or is Ron Francis going to slow play him? I, I think Seattle's in a different spot too. Not that Montreal is all that much different, but that how many guys are beating Shane right out of a spot, given their lack of depth. That's the other part of it. Right. Yeah. Fair point. No, which, which to me is, and you know, I've seen, I've seen the, I think I've taken a peek at the odds and Tyler can correct me. I believe Shane Wright is the favorite for the Calder. Hmm. Wow. History again would tell me that ain't happening. (laughs) Um, you know, like there's very few guys who come out of the draft and win it. Obviously Austin Matthews is one again, he was 19. So like, I look at, you look at Seattle, Everly Schwartz, uh, are they going to be better? Barakovsky, Bjorkstrand, Yanni Gord, you know, McCann. So is, is right clearly better than any of those guys right now? Probably. So he's not in your top six. So now he's going to be in your third line and maybe he's going to kill some penalties. Like I didn't even mention Don Scoyer. I think they've got, you know, and they got Matthew Beneers. Like you're going to have both of them, right? That's the other thing I would look yeah, at. Yeah. Matty Beneers is playing for sure. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. Right. I think he is. So he closed out the year playing the yeah. last 10 games. So I would, and he had uh, nine points. I think if I were to be placing a wager on, the Calder, I would be looking at Maddie Veneers and Ken Johnson. Yeah. I like Ken Johnson a lot. Um, like this is the year, Frank, where I could see no players from the draft being in the NHL. When you consider how few games, a lot of these kids have played due to COVID. But that was actually the thought process heading into the draft. A lot of teams were thinking that already saying there's no one here. That's going to be an immediate impact guy. Yeah. So don't rush it. Don't, don't try to force feed it. Look at Owen power. Owen power is the number one pick. No one's complaining that he wasn't in the NHL last year at all. 
So I, I would take a page out of the Sabres and see uh, for that. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Yaremchuk. Uh, oh, by the way, Nick Bonino will be our guest joining us today on the pod. Uh, Ty, how you doing? I am doing great. Uh, those Calder Trophy odds, by the way, uh, Mason McTavish and Owen Power are at the top at four to one. William Eklund and Kent Johnson at five to one. Matty Benier, seven to one. Jack Quinn, eight to one. Shane Wright, eight and a half to one. Slavkovsky, 10 to one if he even stays in the NHL. So that's Eklund, kind of- Eklund scored one goal. Matty Benier is his real value at, did you say eight to one? Seven to one. Seven yeah. to one. Yeah. What about I like Marco that. Rossi at 11 to one. That's a guy who can put up some numbers, I think. Ooh. Hey, I is like that a Bill's chance. Mafia hoodie you're wearing? It is. The Thursday Nighter is tomorrow, Jason. I'm very Ooh. fired up for the star. I was chatting with some buddies and we all like grew up diehard hockey fans. And I was like, you know, what? I think I might be more excited for the start of the NFL season than the start of the hockey season right now. I'm fired up. I love NFL football. Now, how'd you become a Bill's fan? Uh, I just kind of, I didn't grow up an NFL fan. So when I was like kind of 14, 15 and started following them, they kind of had like the lovable losers moniker about yeah. them. So I picked them and it's, uh, it's working out right now. It was a couple of years of watching Tyrod Taylor play football that weren't a lot of fun, but, uh, let's get in to fill in the blank as always delivered by our friends at DoorDash 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order with the promo code rundown dd i'm doing something totally different today i'm not asking you guys really any question about current news or anything like that it's all hypotheticals three questions here's your first one you have a shootout attempt to win a million dollars the nhl or you're choosing to take it for you is blank frank i don't know tj oshi that's an interesting one he's done it with uh, on a big stage before all right jason patrick kane Patty Kane. Interesting. I, I still think I might go with Connor McDavid. Just come in with speed and shoot it. I think that's like a pretty safe bet taking the best player in the world. Uh, Frank, if you didn't like that question, there's more coming. They're all pretty much the exact same. It's the same deal, a million bucks, but you need a goalie to stop a penalty shot for you. Who are you picking? I'm taking Vasilevsky all day long. His, his lateral mo- uh, mobility, uh, I'll take him. Yeah, I'll say Shesterkin just to be a little bit different, but that's it. That's the only reason. Yeah, Vasilevsky is probably the only correct answer there. And the third one, we're giving some love to D-Men because they never get any any sort of love in these hypotheticals. It's a two-on-one coming the other way. Stanley Cup on the line. You get to pick a defenseman to defend it for you. Frank, who are you picking? Victor Hedman. Yeah, he's six foot six, but I'll pick someone different. I'm going to go with Jacob Slavin. Carolina. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, is a good I one. think he's a really good defender. One of the better mm. defensive D-men. And uh, we'll wrap this thing up. It's a really quick edition of Fill in the Blank today. Our Points Bet Canada bonus question for the week. Preseason hockey is almost here. Training camps are opening up. I want to know the preseason conversation or the training camp cliche that drives you the most insane. For me, it's the guys who come in and we have to do the whole you know, they're in the best shape of their life. I, I would assume a lot of the NHLs coming into things in the best shape of their life. They all train all summer. I roll my eyes every time I hear in the best shape of their life. Frank, what's the one that makes you roll your eyes the hardest? Yeah, that one. And like, oh, you should see the, the weight this guy gained, like, you know, all yeah. pure muscle. He, he gained 12 pounds a month. Like, OK, good. Like. I'm glad it doesn't do anything on the ice necessarily. Uh, Jay, what's no. yours? Well, it can actually make guys a lot quicker for sure. Um, but, uh, 
I don't know. To, to me, it's the ones that I think we have a good team and the team's been terrible for three years. So that one always, I understand that you have to believe in yourself, but there's always a few teams that are much higher on their capabilities than what's real after two. That's, that's my, that's one of my favorite cliches in season too. When you play a team that's like, Oh yeah. They're buried at the bottom of the standings and a good team loses like, Hey, that's a good team over there. Yeah, hard. No, yeah. they're not. No, you're trying to be, I get it. You're trying to be respectful to your adage. You can't say anything nice. Don't say anything at all, but yeah, yeah that's uh, that's tough. Now, before I let you go, I'm going to ask both of you guys, cause you mentioned the bills, uh, Ty, um, the bills, you're right. They're the lovable loser. They haven't like, like t- people look and they lost four in a row, four Super Bowls in a row. Brutal. They never really won anything in football for the longest time. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, all they did was lose. And other fans were like, oh, I kind of like Saskatchewan because they're the lovable loser. Who is that team in the NHL? Which fan base do other teams like, hey, you know what? I don't mind that team because they don't they're not really threatening. Who do you find that team is in the NHL? Ah. <sighs> Like part of me wants to go with the coyotes, but like everyone just doesn't really like the coyote. Like there's not, they don't have that lovable aspect to them. Who's the NHL's lovable? Loser? I'm going to say it's the Sabres. Yeah. I actually, that's probably the correct answer in this one. It probably is the Sabres. They've, They've just, been so bad for yeah. so long and their fan base is really good when their team is good. Like they, you, you go to a game there 10, 12, 15 years ago, like it was an awesome place to watch a game and it's been dreadful the last number of years. That's my team. Yeah. See, I'm going to say the Winnipeg jets, like very few people hate the Winnipeg jets. Yeah. Eh, right. I don't know. The Islanders are in that same category too. Remember when they went to the Eastern conference final the last few years, everyone was like, Oh, this is good for hockey. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. You can put the Islanders in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. There's a few teams where, you know what? They're, they're can be competitive, but they're not threatening. Right. And then there's other teams that people just, even if they haven't won anything, they can't stand. So, but uh, it's funny how you mentioned the bills. Uh, I like the bills to win their division. We'll see. I think they're one of the favorites for the super bowl. Good luck. They are. Thanks boys. All right. Hey, let's get to our uh, big guest today. Uh, longtime NHLer now with the San Jose sharks. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Today on the DFO Rundown, we are joined by a gentleman who was drafted in the sixth round, 173rd overall in 2007, out of uh, Avon Old Farms High School. Then he went to uh, Boston University for three years, uh, signed with the uh, Anaheim Ducks. He has now played over 760 NHL regular season games, has also won two Stanley Cups, and is a current member of the San Jose Sharks, the team that originally drafted him. Nick Bonino, welcome to the pod. Nick, how you doing? 
Good, good. I, I feel old just hearing uh, hearing my resume there and hearing the years. So uh, thanks for having me on. Well, hey, man, uh, that, that's a good sign then. You've had a pretty uh, pretty good career. Not, m- most true. guys would die for a career that involves uh, two Stanley Cups and also one of the greatest trivia questions a lot of people might not remember. If you ask who led the Penguins in the 2016 Cup run in assists, not many would say Nick Benino. I what happened either. in 16, yeah. Nick? You're on fire. Yeah, it was uh, just kind of one of those times when everything worked out. Puck went in. Um, when it should have, uh, you know, sometimes you get bounces, sometimes you don't, but, uh, that was a pretty magical, uh, run there from probably what January, February on. It was, uh, it was really fun. So let, let's kind of go through, um, your career uh, to, to how you are now kind of unique that your Boston assistant slash associate coach is now your new head coach in, in David Quinn. Uh, I'm assuming that you've had some conversations uh, w- with Quinn. What are you expecting with him now as a head man? You know, just no nonsense. He's uh, he's one of the most passionate um, guys. I know coaches. I know I've like, I, like you just alluded to, I've known, uh, I'll call him Quinny. Um, I've known him since, uh, I took my official visit to BU and, um, I was already committed, but, uh, I went to, I think it was a bean pop final. I went and watched and he drove me back to Avon the next day. It's about a two hour ride. And I was trying to stay awake in the car to talk to him. And he, at some point he just said, Hey Nick, you can sleep. I know how tired you are. I know you had a fun night. So I've known Quinny since, uh, I was 18 years old and, um, always been a guy I'm comfortable speaking to, um, just looks for hard work, looks for doing things the right way. And I think that's, uh, that's really good for our team. Nick, when you, you, we just talked about the BU connection there with David Quinn, but also now with Mike Greer, what's the feeling like for you in San Jose? I am sure there's probably a little bit of an adjustment period, you know, heading into last year, three teams, you end up on in three years between Nashville, Minnesota, and San Jose. How long do you think it took for you to feel comfortable and how different does it feel now? Um, knowing that there's some people there that you might be familiar with or have some connections with. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always weird coming to a new team. I think, uh, we were in the weight room the other day and, uh, I kind of made a joke. I'm always coming to the team in August because I've always, uh, I've just been traded there or I've just signed there. It's, uh, it seemed like, um, you know, you're not doing anything wrong for a team, but just teams make moves. It's a business. And, uh, and like you said, I've ended up in a few teams in the last few years, but, um, I do like it in San Jose. I think last year was pretty frustrating. I think this year, um, you know, as many changes have been made in the staff and front office as there have been on the team. And, um, it seems like there is a new path forward. Uh, a lot of Boston guys, which, uh, you know, for me, there's some familiarity. I didn't know um, Mike Greer at all. Uh, I've only talked to him once still, but, uh, you know, just from everything you hear, he's a great hockey mind, stand-up guy, and uh, wants us to play the right way. And I think um, we're all, uh, the veterans at least, that I've spoken to are, are looking forward to that for sure. Does that equate to, with all those changes made, a bit of a fresh start? Like you, you mentioned how frustrating last year was, and I, I'd imagine for the guys – that have been there, especially the vets who have had success there it was probably a frustrating last few years, not being able to achieve what you guys wanted. Um, what's the feeling like heading into next season? Yeah, I think so. You know, you, you speak with, uh, with Cooch and, and Tommy and, uh, the sharks have been one of the best teams for the last decade and, uh, have had deep playoff runs have been in the finals and, 
I think for them, three years missing the playoffs is uh, is pretty frustrating. I know just for me, you know, coming to the plane the day after the deadline, knowing we weren't going to be a playoff team, uh, knowing you're playing out those last 20 games, really just just to play. And um, I, there's not it's there's never really nothing to play for. You're playing for um, each other. You're playing for opportunity. Uh, but it, it just, you know, when you're out of the playoffs, it's pretty, pretty depressing. And, uh, that was the first time in a long time I'd, I had experienced that. I haven't missed the playoffs many times and it's, it's something that, uh, is really no fun. So, um, I think, you know, the moves the sharks have made this summer, we've, we've, uh, you know, short, really short up the bottom six and, and, the, the, there's a lot of NHL players now on the team where last year, I think there was a lot of injuries. There was a lot of up and down movement this year. It seems like uh, kind of getting a, a pretty solid roster back and then um, looking forward to the start for sure. Nick, you mentioned that uh, you were joking about how you're feeling old as we were talking about your resume and you know, you go back to, to your time in, in, in BU and you got, you actually got traded. Uh, your rights got traded when, when you were in school uh, and then you end up with the ducks and, and you started your career there uh, you know, for five seasons, then you got traded to Vancouver after you had your breakout season. Take us back to kind of how that was the first time you got traded as a player, you know, when, when you were in the NHL to, to Vancouver and was it a bigger adjustment than you thought going there? And did you have expectations? You know, did you put too much expectations on yourself? Cause you got traded for Kessler and you were coming off a 22 goal season. We're obviously wanting to build on that. Um, yeah. So I, I'll, I'll say, I think, you know, being traded, it's so much different with a family. I think, uh, logistically is where the trades for me, um, are, are difficult. Uh, you know, when we, we left Anaheim and, uh, just like knowing there were so many rumors that Kessler was, was going to get traded. And there were so many rumors that they'd want to center back. And <clears throat> as, as kind of surprising as it was, we saw that trade coming my wife and I, um, so we get to Vancouver and I, I had a really good start out of the gate and then, uh, slowed down a little, but we had a good team and I had a really, really great, uh, meeting after, after the season with, um, the management there and van and, um, only good things were said. And I felt confident enough to, to buy my first place, uh, in a city I played in. And, uh, about a month later, we got a call in the middle from Trevor Linden on, and, uh, I joked to Lauren saying we were in the car together and I saw it on the caller ID and I said, Oh, Hey, look, we're getting traded. And I answered the phone and immediately he said, Hey, one of the toughest parts of the game and, and we got traded. So, um, I think that was kind of eye opening for me that, that it is, it really is a business as, as much as, you know, you love the guys and, um, the GMs are, are good people and, uh, they're doing what they think is best for their, for their company, for their business. So, uh, going, you know, those trades were tough. I'm, I'm happy. I was traded to Pittsburgh. Obviously it changed the trajectory of my career. It changed my, um, everything, but, uh, it was, it was pretty tough. I think the going to Nashville traded the trade to mini was again, very, very, uh, surprising. And then, um, those are the trades where, you know, your first call is to, to cancel your kid's school and, um, look for a place to live and, and moving company. So, I think the older I've got, the more, you know, crap we've accumulated around the house. Uh, the moves get tougher, um, with each kid, it, it gets tougher, but, uh, it's still, you know, a pleasure and a blessing to be able to play hockey every day for a living. So I can't complain too much.
So take me back to the summer then of 2015. You just buy a house in Vancouver. Did you even get to live in it? No, no, actually. Our first call was to our um, furniture uh, decorators. We, uh, we, we got off the phone and immediately we called because we knew we had a, um, a shipment of, of furniture coming. We said, is there any way we can, uh, we can get this canceled because we're going to have to sell this place. And, um, you know, had we had a little bit um, better idea of, of real estate at the time, maybe we would have held on, <laughs> held on to that place uh, for a few years, same in Nashville. But um, no, it, it was uh, like, it was just very shocking. And uh, we, I think we put a fence up and, um, and that was it. And it was, it was the middle uh, to tell you how crazy Vancouver was then. And it is now as a market, like we, I think it was called a triplex and we, we bought the middle floor. So there was someone who owned the top and someone who owned the bottom. And what? we were just, uh, yeah, we were just, just uh, trying to get a, get our, that was our first place. And um, yeah, we owned it for about two months and then, uh, and then I had to get rid of it. Yeah. A triplex in Vancouver is probably going for like a million bucks too. It's yeah, crazy. It was, it was about a million, yeah, it was about a million bucks to, to get in there. So, um, and that was in 2015. I can't imagine what it is now. Crazy. So you end up going to Pitt, and that ends up being one of the best things that happens to you. you. You're only there for two years. You win two Stanley cups and you're on your way. Yeah. Yeah. Pittsburgh was, you know, just an organization that did everything the right way. I think when you have, you know, Mario in charge and he knows what guys expect. And, um, that that's pretty special, but then, you know, you know, when you have Sid as the captain and just a guy who's taking no shortcuts and, and leading by example, and you get on the ice and you're going to practice the right way and you're going to do things the right way. And, you know, we started that first year where I, we were pretty bad up till Christmas. I think we were, but, um, you know, just, just started to get hot and at the right time and kind of rode that wave through the playoffs. And, um, for me, I got to play that first year with Hagelin and Phil and all that came with that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really special to win, uh, to win there with a great group of guys, you know, with some older guys with like Matt Cullen and Kunitz and, um, flower and duper, like these guys were just, just great, great guys. And, um, always will remember those years pretty fondly for sure. So oddly enough, you end up playing for the two teams now in your career that you ended up facing in those Stanley cup finals. Um, I was curious, Nick, what you think those playoff runs aside from the memories that you'll carry forever and, and the different bonds that you have with your teammates, how do you think those playoff runs helped you in your career in terms of establishing yourself? You obviously everyone knew you were a good player, but on that type of stage, how much do you think that helped your career? I think anytime you have playoff success individually or, or on a team, you're, it does help your career. It helps uh, the longevity of your career. Teams want guys who've won, uh, guys who know what it takes to win. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to be on pretty good teams since high school. Uh, we won with Farmington. We won with Avon. We had a pretty crazy game. And uh, you ever look that one up at, at Boston University, we were down two with a minute left, and we won that national championship game in 09. So, yeah. Um, it's not, I would say for, for most NHL guys, that's kind of the norm. Almost every guy has had success at some point in their career and, um, has kind of helped mold them into the player they are in the NHL. But yeah, winning, winning cups, uh, is really hard to do. It's something that, uh, you know, some of the best players play their whole careers and don't do so fortunate to do that. I think it's, uh, it definitely helps, um, helps team teams definitely like, uh, like having that on their roster. 
Nick, you've had you know, a unique career in the sense that, you know, ever, ever since you came in, you've, you've always had players that, you know, a teammate or somebody who really went on to be a hall of famer. If you look back, you know, you had Scott Niedermeyer when your first year in nine, 10 in, in Anaheim and Tamu Solani. And, uh, you know, then you go to Vancouver and you had the Sedins and then obviously you had Sidney Crosby and Malkin and Fleury and Latang. Um, Sidney Crosby is a very special player, of course, Having played with a lot of great players before, was there anything that stood out from Sid that once you became a teammate that surprised you at all? Um, I didn't realize how hard he could shoot the puck. That was that was one thing right away. I was like, wow, he has a, a laser because he's, he's not a guy who's shooting from far out all the time. Um, but just, you know, you see the work ethic and it's one thing to hear about it, but it's one thing to see it in person. Um, that's a guy who having played with, like you just said, Niedermeyer's tees, uh, the Sedins, um, who are all just obvious, like you said, hall of famers, best ever play. Um, Sid, Sid was just that, that work ethic on the ice was just something like you get on the ice and, uh, he's the hardest worker and he doesn't have to, like, he doesn't have to be, he's not trying for, um, a spot. He's not just breaking into the league. He is just there working and, and doing workouts with him in the summer and with his trainer, Andy O'Brien, just there's no, there's no off switch for him. And, uh, it's a reason why Pittsburgh has been so good for so long. And, um, it's a reason why he's had so much success. It's just, uh, there's just no quit. The, you, you look at your career and, and that year, and we were joking about how you led the Penguins in assists, you know, with Crosby and, and Malkin and Phil Kessel, who had an unreal playoff run himself as well. Um, how do you, when you, when you get into a group like that and, and you feel something special and it's going there, uh, how do you, you know, not kind of look around and, and want to just, well, we got to let Sid and, and if Jenny Malka do it. Like, is, is there something where you have to, Hey, you know what? Like we got to make plays. We can't always give it to them. Does that something you had to learn as a player or because you were leading score before that, that was always an, in you. It just maybe wasn't there in some years. Well, I, I think, uh, I think if you look at every team that's won the, the cup, you need depth scoring. You, you can't win without it. You could have, I mean, you have McDavid and Dreisaitl and, and, uh, and they're not winning Stanley cups. I mean, yet I, I think probably in their future, they, they are, will win one, but, uh, you know, Sid and Gino, you, if they're going to score every goal, uh, the team's probably not going to win. Um, you need everyone to pitch in. And, and that year it was like, uh, like I said, everything kind of went the right way. The pucks went in, but, um, at the same time, my focus really has never been on points. Uh, it's always in your head. And, you know, last year in, in San Jose for 19 games, I didn't have a point and I thought I was playing really good hockey. I thought this year was some of the best hockey I'd played. And it's just, you look at the stats and you're like, wow, this is, this doesn't make any sense. Um, I think for me, it's just, you know, focusing on what I do best, whether that's, defending or blocking shots or face-offs or just being a good guy in the room. I think points usually come. I think in that playoffs run, I was kind of even probably 19, I think it was 19 games left in that year. Um, we got together and, and I think from then till the end of the year, I was almost a point a game to the end of the playoffs in about 40 games. It was almost a point a game. And I remember thinking, uh, wow, that was pretty incredible. That's what some of these guys feel like for a career. It must be, it must be <laughs> nice. Uh, but it was, it was good. I mean, you need a lot of things to go right. Um, and we got bounces. I mean, Gino got hurt, which is what gave me a chance to play with Phil and, and, and Carl. And, um, that's kind of how it works. You need something like that to, to go your way. 
Haglin's a burner and Phil's obviously a shooter, Nick. And, um, you know, you're a good skater. You're not a burner by stretch. Do you find in your career, like, are you best when you've got a guy with speed on your wing? Absolutely. I think, uh, like you said, I'm, I can skate, but I'm not, I'm not fast. Uh, I'm, I'm, I get by, I know when to, to, yeah, we don't have to get into that, but, uh, <laughs> I, I think, uh, with me with speed, when, when I got a guy, um, I mean, when I got a, when I played with Greggy last year, he's getting the puck out of the zone. He's, he's into the O zone and then we're able to create offense. So, um, guys with speed, you know, all the way back to high school and I got to play with Cam Atkinson. Um, I feel like I've always, uh, had a little bit of chemistry with them. Um, just, just being able to exit the zone. I'm usually low and, um, I don't have that McDavid speed where I can play below the goal line and then beat the, you know, their center up the ice. Uh, gotta be smart, pick my spots. And, and it always helps when you have fast guys with you. Nick chemistry and production are great, but one of the real hallmarks of your career and something you've been able to hang your hat on has been your consistency is there a secret to it? What, you know, how do you, how are you able to be so consistent year in and year out? Uh, I'm just a freak in the gym. I think. <laughs> no, I, um, I think just taking care of yourself and, and uh, you know, my game doesn't change on the ice. I don't try to do too much. I think uh, for me, like you said, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not going a hundred miles an hour. I'm picking my spots. I'm thinking about it. Um, I am blocking a ton of shots. So I'm lucky that I've only broken a couple bones from that. Um, but I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I think, uh, you know, for me, I've never really relied on my speed in the NHL. I've relied on my brain and moving the puck and, and being in the right spot and doing the right things, playing the right way. And, um, I think it's hard to take issue with guys that do that when, you know, if, if my mistake is a, how do I say this? If I screw up, you know, on the ice by just a, a physical mistake, it happens, but, um, I try to keep myself in good spots, try not to do selfish things. And, um, you know, usually I'm in the lineup because of that. So if some coaches, you hear them explain it, they say, Nick Bonino is a guy that if he's making a mistake, it might be a single or a double, but it's not going to be a grand slam home run. Um, and that's always helpful. I was wondering, you mentioned Nick, that your game hasn't changed much. Um, do you think over the course of your career, like obviously you're learning new things or you're, you know, you're obviously getting more comfortable as your career goes on, but has it evolved at all? Like what, how different is your game now from when you first started and and how do you see your game continuing to progress? You know, centers are always going to be in demand. You just turned 34. You could probably continue to play for a long time if you rely on that hockey IQ. I hope so. That's the plan. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, this league, uh, it is getting younger and younger. I think every guy I skated with this summer and out in Edmonton was, you know, 25 or, or younger. And I'm coming from just putting the baby down and coming into the rink, you know, seven minutes before we're on the ice and uh, <laughs> getting dressed quick and, and getting out there. So um, that's the goal is to play as long as I can. I think uh, I, I do. I, I do think that if, you know, um, that's what you're looking for. Just like a, a responsible guy, trustworthy guy. I'll be there. I think I still can score 15 to 20 goals a year. Um, it's been that way for my whole career. There hasn't been much change. Obviously that one year I scored more. I think my last year in Nashville, I had 18 in, in 65 before the, before COVID derailed it. So I, I was hoping I would have got to 20 that year too. But um, yeah, I think, you know, the beginning of my career was a bit more 
point focused. I was more worried about that. And now, um, obviously you're, you're kind of pissed when you don't have a point in 20 games, but, um, once that's done, I'm, I'm back to, you know, 26 points in the next 60 games, just about the pace I've been on my career, just under half a point a game. And they seem to usually take care of itself for me. I'm, I'm more focused now on whether, uh, you know, if, if Cooch and Tommy can free them up for offensive zone draws, if I could take a few more D zone draws and, um, just little things like that. Brent Burns, uh, you know, that, that's a big loss for the Sharks in the offseason, kind of a, of a cap trade. But uh, did you uh, did you ever go dine at uh, at Burns's house and, and eat some of his exotic meat? I didn't. I didn't. I know Cog, uh, Cogliano Cogs lives pretty close to him and uh, went over for a couple of cookouts and was eating zebra <laughs> once or twice. So uh, and I, we, I thought he was kidding when he told me. But uh, no, Burnsy. Um, yeah, he's he's uh, a great guy, like had a really real really had a lot of fun with him this year and just getting to know him. Um, he's a character and he was great in the room. He's one of the hardest workers. So, uh, someone will definitely miss. Nick, I, I watched some of your practices and guys would score a goal in practice and Burns would just be like hooting and hollering. And who are some of the characters you played guys that just add a real life to practices and around the rink on a daily basis. How important is that? Yeah, it's, it's important. It's something, uh, that every team needs. I think, um, you know, if we, we, once we lost five in a row, I don't know if, uh, you know, Burnsy's doing that as much. I think the the guys who are good at it, know when to pick their spots. They know maybe it is after you've lost five in a row and you need to pick me up, but, um, you know, he was really good at uh, knowing when to do that. And, and for the most part, he was always doing that. I think, uh, you know, it was pretty infectious. He's a guy you go by and, you'd maybe tap him on the skate screwing around. And then for the whole practice, he's slashing you in the back and cross checking. Uh, so you had to, you had to be careful with him too, but, um, he was, uh, he was good at that. He, he knew the, what the team needed. And, um, like you said, he was, he was pretty loud on the ice. How have you improved or maintained being a good face-off guy, Nick, without giving away too many secrets? What's, what's the key now in today's NHL, you know, to, to be a consistent, solid face-off guy. You know, it's, I think it's a, a lot of, I watch a lot of video, um, not a ton of video, but I'm watching me against the, the center I'm going against and, um, against the team I'm going against and just trying to pick up tendencies. It is a bit of a chess match, you know, uh, I'm kind of remembering what he did on this side last time. He's remembering what I did. Am I going to do the same thing? Is he going to do the same thing? So a, a lot goes into it, but you know, at the end of the day with face-offs, if you can just time that puck can meet it there. You're going to have at least a 50, 50 chance to, to get it. And, and sometimes better. And, um, these last few years I've been flipping my stick over on the right side too. So I'm strong side on both sides, which has uh, been a bit helpful. Uh, it was tough to, to get a hold of, um, at first, but that's something I've, I've definitely tried to do, tried to work on as well. All right, Jay, let's play a little rapid fire. All right. Um, Nick, uh, the rules of rapid fire, you have to answer the question. Um, what did you know about St. Albert before you met your wife? Uh, nothing. And, uh, how much convincing, cause you're a rarity in the NHL. There's not many Americans who come and spend the summers in Canada and uh, you're in St. Albert, a suburb of Edmonton for any of our listeners who don't know where it is. Uh, how did that conversation go? And how are, how are you enjoying the, the long summer nights that St. Albert has? It's great. Honestly, uh, she's got a really big family. She's got three brothers who live there. 
um, with three, three and two kids. So our three kids have cousins. Uh, we, we love to go camping. We love to go to the mountains. She grew up in Jasper. So we go back there a couple of times and, um, it's great. The sun's out late. So the kids don't really understand why they have to go to bed. Uh, but other than that, uh, we love it. Your favorite camping spot. Yeah, probably Jasper around Jasper. Okay. In today's NHL, as you talk about the speed of McDavid, what is the most challenging part of being a defensive center against the speed in today's game? I mean, that's a good question. Most challenging part of being a defensive center, probably, you know, getting isolated by a guy with that speed. I think, uh, you know, you've seen these clips where McCarr has a guy on him, you know, especially in overtime. And it's one move and and he's right to the net. So I think when you're in those isolated, uh, isolated one-on-ones where you're not getting any help, where your D maybe was pulled to the corner and, and the puck went up and there's no one to help you. I think uh, those are tough spots to be in because these guys can stop on a dime. The, the McKinnons, the McDavid, they, um, they can really burn you. Did you ever have the Benino, Benino, Benino goal call as your ringtone? No, I, I never had it, but uh, plenty of people told me they had it. So that a bunch like how like how much play did you get from that because man that was iconic for a long time it was good i forget who it was the next year at a face-off uh he came in and he said benino 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 <laughs> and i i don't like look up i was like holy shit everyone's saying this so it's pretty funny that's pretty cool though are you a chirper on the ice at all no not really no is there more anyone the that locker, get, like more our guys? I'll chirp our guys in, in the locker room and stuff, but not on the. Who, who is the? Who is your favorite teammate that you've chirped over the years? Oh, please say like Phil. I, get, I was gonna say Phil. Uh, Phil's so good at taking it. And he chirps everyone back, so uh, he was really funny. It was entertaining in the locker room because he's such a good guy about it, uh, and he'll give it right back to you. And uh, the player that you look forward to playing against the most and why? Uh, you know, I would say a few years ago before, when McDavid was just coming to the league, I was pretty pumped to play him. I was like, wow, it's going to be fun. Uh, it's not, it's not, not as fun anymore. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think any of those, any of those guys, um, those top guys in the league, the McDavid's, the McKinnon's, Sid, uh, Barkov's, those guys are just, uh, it's always pretty cool to see them. Um, in person as much as you're trying to stop them. And Nick, now it said, were you born in Hartford, Connecticut? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, did, so now you were born, the, the whalers were there. Were you all, were you ever a whalers fan as a young kid before they left? I was, I think they left when I was six. Uh, and I, they had Shanahan and I liked him and I followed him to Detroit and I was a huge Detroit fan growing up. That was my team. So uh, what do you, what do you make of when Carolina wears the Whaler jerseys? Is that, is that all, like, is that a good thing for Hartford or is that, is that a faux pas? Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty cool. Every time they do, you know, the out of the woodwork, it's bring the team back to Hartford. It gives a little bit of, a little bit of hope to a small group of people, but um, I don't think, uh, I don't know if that's in the cards, but, uh, but it is pretty cool to see the, the jersey. 
Well, Nick, uh, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, continued success as you've surpassed game 800 uh, this season. And uh, for you, yeah, last year was the first time I looked that you missed the playoffs since 2012. So uh, hopefully you're back in the dance this postseason. That was Nick Bonino. And now uh, you can tell he's loving life in uh, San Jose. That's back-to-back guests now who just got the sick background with Sean Thornton and, and now Nick Bonino. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, Frank, I, I think Nick Bonino, unless the Sharks have a real big surprise, I think Nick Bonino will be one of the other uh, names on your trade bait board come trade deadline. Yeah, I agree. It's, it was really interesting to get his insight on like his thought process on what makes him a consistent player because that's really the mark of a, you know, someone that a coach can rely on night in and night out. Those are the guys that have serious longevity in their careers. And we touched on his interest in playing for a while. Like he's one of those guys, you know, he could play maybe till he's in his late thirties. Oh, yeah. I, he, he comes off to me for, he's going to be like a Corey Perry type player. He was never as high offensive as, as Corey Perry was, but you know, Corey Perry, he'll end up signing, you know, Nick Benino's next contract under a million bucks plays a veteran who just wants to go on a competitive team every year. And they know exactly what they get. And coaches love those guys. And that's what I think he's going to be for sure. I think he'll have, he'll have a lot of interest at the uh, trade deadline, unless the, uh, the San Jose Sharks surprise us and are uh, in the mix for a playoff spot come the deadline. Frank, uh, have a good week. Next week, we are back to our uh, regular uh, season schedule. Uh, we'll have uh, two pods a week, uh, usually dropping on Monday and Friday. So uh, thanks, everyone, for a little bit of a uh, uh, for tuning in uh, all the time at, at different times. But the pod will drop today. It's a Wednesday, but we'll be back to our Monday, Friday next week. So uh, enjoy it. We'll talk then, Frank. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.